Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. to this passage of scripture before us. I'm not uh, going to uh, not going to do too much by way of introduction uh, and, and by way of, uh, of review. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but we understand what's being said. There is here the Apostle Paul is speaking about this church at Corinth and he tells them that he is rejoicing in them. And the amazing thing of it all is that he is rejoicing in them in all things. Now, I don't know a whole lot of people in this world that I'm willing to make that statement about. Uh, I don't even know in church if we can make that statement about a lot of times, that there is nothing about you and there you could say nothing about me or each other, that there is nothing about you that we're not rejoicing in. Uh, Paul said that about this church at Corinth, and what a wonderful statement this is. And uh, we've spent a couple of messages trying to unpack the magnitude of this statement as Paul commends Corinth. And that's uh, what we have titled this series of messages, Commending Corinth. And that's what uh, this, that's what Paul is doing for this church. And the reason why it is such a magnificent truth is the fact that if there was any church that Paul ever dealt with that would not have deserved commendation, that had not earned such accommodation as we look at their uh, the testimony of them in the scriptures as a whole, you would say he might would commend Ephesus. He might would commend uh, these other places that he went, uh, 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 the church at Thessalonica and others. He would commend them maybe in this way, but not Corinth. It was the most carnal church he dealt with. It was the most wicked worldly group of believers that met for church that he dealt with in his entire ministry. But yet God is doing something in this church that God can do in our church and that God can do in our lives that allowed Paul in, in, in uh, reality to make such a statement. Here he says, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. And when you study what, what the things that went on in Corinth, it is an amazing thing that God, or that Paul could say that. But as I've told you before, mentioned even this morning, when we let God get in on the picture, there's no telling what God can do. He can even take churches that have uh, problems and put them in a place to where uh, God is using them and God is allowing him to rejoice in just all of the wonderful things that God is doing even amongst people that in the past have not done very well, uh, have not been faithful, have not been uh, godly, have not been what they ought to be. And that doesn't, does that not sound like a lot of us, amen? We're not always what we ought to be. We're not always as faithful as we should be. We're more carnal than we should be. We're more attached to this world than we should be. But I'm here to tell you this morning, thank God that there's a God up in heaven who can turn things around, who can do a work, amen, and cause us to have a life and to cause us to have an existence that can be rejoiced over what God is doing in our heart and life, amen. That's what is going on in this church. We looked at 
1 Corinthians chapter number 3 as we began to talk about this Corinthian church and about the problems that made this statement so uh, almost uh, uh, so amazing and just uh, so hard to believe even at times. When you think about who this church was, the first thing we talked about, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 7, they had a carnality problem. They were carnal. The Bible said that Paul couldn't even talk to them as unto spiritual, but as unto babes in Christ. That's how bad off they were. They had a carnality problem. I'm not going to re-preach the message. It's online. Go look at it sometime if you want to hear those, those truths. Amen. Number two, not only did they have a carnality problem, but they had a chastity problem. Not only were they worldly, but they were wicked in their practice. Uh, very worldly. Uh, the Bible there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and in chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, Paul had to give, uh, Paul had to give this church guidelines on how to deal with immorality in their church that wasn't just there and being swept under the rug. Uh, that, that happens too many times in churches. Amen. Uh, and I, and I know, I know what kind of church I pastor, uh, but even in our independent Baptist churches, the sad thing is, is us, even as independent fundamental Bible believing Baptist churches, we are beginning to get a reputation of being churches and a group of churches that are willing to, willing to close our eyes at sin and put it under the rug. If it might cause this preacher a problem or it might cause this person in the church a problem and we are more political than we've ever been and we're more political than a church ought to be. We are putting, we are turning a blind eye towards sinful things and Paul here said it ought not to be. Amen. And by the way, if there is sin in Beacon Baptist Church, it needs to be dealt with. Amen. It doesn't need to be swept under the rug. Amen. And so here we find that they were involved in great sin, but the Bible doesn't say that. Now, it's bad enough if they swept it under the rug. But Brother Tommy, you know as well as I do, that's not what they were doing. The Bible said Paul looked at them and said concerning that sin of immorality in the church, you're puffed up about it. You're proud of it. You're boasting in it. You are promoting that in the church. If immorality being swept under the rug is bad, I would say being proud of how wicked you are is probably equally as bad, if not worse. So they, this is a church that has their fair share of problems. Go with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. <clears throat> they had a carnality problem. They had a chastity problem. But then look at this with me in the Word of God this morning. They had a childish problem. Now we're going to go to a passage this morning here talking about this childish problem that they were dealing with. And I'm going to already let you, I'm going to already let you in on the fact that I am aware that just a couple of weeks ago I preached on this passage. Now we dealt with something different, but I'm going to, I'm coming to this passage. And I want to see, I want to see something a little bit different here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Of course, we know it as the love chapter of the Bible. We know it because of its mentions toward charity. But in actuality, while it does mention charity, that is not the only main thrust of this chapter. When he mentions there in chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, it have not charity. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. When he mentions charity, he is the, the, the first thing mentioned and the central focus 
of this chapter while it is backed up with charity. The central focus of this chapter, the first truth that he deals with is the sign gifts. Spiritual gifts. While if I have a gift, the ability to do these amazing things, but if I do not do them in love, all of these amazing supernatural spiritual things that I'm doing is worthless. And by the way, church, it's still that way today. It doesn't matter how many churches we build. If we do it with a hateful spirit, then we're doing things in a, we're doing things wrong. It doesn't matter how many buildings we build. It doesn't matter how many times we fill up this building. If we do all kinds of feats for God, but we do it with a bad, arrogant, hateful spirit, we're missing out on what God has for the Christ life of the Christian. We're to do what we do in love because the God that we serve and the God that is in power us to do the things that we do for him. The Bible said our God is love. He embodies charity. Every description of charity given in chapter number 13. And brother Tommy has done a great job teaching on this in Sunday school and days gone by. He would admit to this that every one of these things the Lord Jesus embodies and exemplifies and is our chief example in all of these things. Amen. But if we do what we do we're without charity, uh, then we're missing the point of it all. But Paul here is telling this Corinthian church about the issues that exist in the church concerning charity. Charity is what he backs up this truth with, but it is not the central truth that he is introducing in chapter 13. He talks about these tongues of men and of angels. He talks about in verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith. Now, I don't know anybody that says they'd have all faith. There's never a moment of doubt. There's never a moment where they just don't believe God and, and constantly believe God that they have all faith. Their faith never falters, never fails, never lacks in, uh, never lacks in its, uh, in its, uh, in, in its pra- practical aspect being, uh, if put forth in the world that we never, uh, fail or, 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 uh, begin to decrease in that area. Paul said, even, not that they, they could say that, but even if they did say that he said uh, he said so that I could remove mountains verse 2 and have not charity I am nothing despite all of the gifts that I have if I don't have charity along with it I am nothing he says though verse 3 I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing and then he begins to talk about the charity that is all so necessary to do a work for God and to exercise spiritual gifts and be used of God to do the things that God would have for you to do now notice with me verse number 8 he says charity never faileth Again, talking about spiritual gifts originally. 
Talking about if it's not enacted with charity, not coupled with charity, it's really missing the, the true root of its value. It's missing its foundation. It's missing the missing the forward thrust as to why we engage in, 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 in uh, activity for God, empowered by the Spirit. He gives those examples, gives those descriptions of the charity that must be coupled with the use of spiritual gifts. And now he tells us why charity must be coupled with spiritual gifts and turns the focus back to his original discussion topic. He says here, verse 8, charity never faileth. He says, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Why do you need to do what you do with charity? It's because the charity lasts when the other things are not meant to last. Again, he's speaking in a time to where the ministry of the gospel was done by way of signed gifts. Now, we don't do that today. Amen. Before I get labeled as a Pentecostal or a charismatic or amen, a church of God or something of that nature, I've already preached that message to you a few weeks ago. There's reasons why we don't do that. He's telling us here that those things are coming to an end. And therefore, you need to have about you and your service for God something that will endure, something that will last. Charity does that. Prophecy doesn't do it. It'll fail. Verse 8, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Remember, we preached on tongues a little while ago. Remember, I mentioned that as a promise from God. It's not that they might cease, but they're going to cease. They shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, I've already preached to you what that is, and when it came, that, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now notice verse number 11. Paul mentions something here to this Corinthian church with the subject of spiritual gifts and how they need to be coupled with charity and they need to be coupled with charity because these things are going to pass, but charity's never going to pass. He says this here. He said, when I was, and remember this is all the same context, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understand that more as a parent than I ever have. When I was a child, I spake as a child. And this is not just speaking about babbling and, and uh, some of that pre-talk talk. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Why they're trying to learn to say words. Amen. It's not like little Maisie now walking. I can't even hardly believe that. Walking around here and saying dada and things of that nature. Amen. Now her new favorite word is hello. Saying hello to everybody. Amen. Uh, you know, not, not that kind of childish talk. But I've learned that children speak a different way. They talk about things that adults don't necessarily talk about anymore. My son, I used him Wednesday night, but he's still my chief illustration example. Why it gives me plenty of reasons to have illustrations for sermons. My son will talk about things... Brother Cody, as if they happened, he made them up completely. Never happened. I, now, that may be frustrating at times, but I'm, I'm just, now let me just, this has nothing to do with the message. Y'all just let me be proud for a minute. I'm glad that I still have a young lad, five years old, that still has enough of an imagination to make up an entire fantasy world that he's talking about. That video games and television screens haven't robbed him of having an imagination. But 
Children just talk about things different than adults do. They talk about different things. What is important to him may not necessarily at my age be as important to me. Now, we as dads, we have to make sure that we are, uh, that there is, that we don't just dismiss things that matter to them because they matter to us and those things matter to them and therefore they matter to us because it matters to them. Can I get an amen when I say that? However, a child's way of communicating evolves, and I hate to use that word in the pulpit, changes over time. It changes. It, it metamorphosizes over time. However, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like I was a child. Why? Because he was a child. The great apostle Paul that wrote all of the things that he wrote in the scriptures at one time talked just like a child does. He is looking back in a physical moment in time in his life. He's using as an example he's pointing back to a moment in his life's history when Paul in his mind writing these words saw a little bitty Saul of Tarsus. Little bitty boy that eventually became the great apostle Paul. And he looked at that image of himself as he looked down memory's lane. And he saw himself speaking as a child because he was a child. But there is a change. He said, I understood as a child. They think they speak different than we do. They think different than we do. Amen. I understood as a child. I understood. I thought as a child. But when I became a man. And that became means that there it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. Just like with us, the speech, uh, amen, about said evolved again, amen, uh, changed. And the, the, under, the understanding, what they understand changes. There's things that my children think they understand, but I'll be honest with you, I've had to tell them, you don't understand that as well as you think you do. I remember I gave the illustration Wednesday night about Wyatt breaking his arm against daddy's wishes doing things daddy told him not to do and as a result he broke his arm that's why he had, that's why that's why he deals with what he deals with with his cast he's showing you his cast <laughs> he did this so everybody's cast he didn't do what i told him to do he said i know daddy said don't run in the house i know daddy said don't jump on this he thought he understood what he could handle but i understood better than he did I understand that it's not the running that's the problem. It's the falling that's the problem. Children don't ever think about falling. But I can tell you this, the older you get, the more you think about falling. Kids, they fall and they get up. They're resilient. The older folks, when we fall, we don't get up as quick as we used to. I'm not an old man. I'm 29 years of age. But when I fall, I feel it the next day. It hadn't been now, not too many years ago, I didn't feel it the next day. But I do feel it the next day now. Now, I don't hold on to those pains as long as some of you, but I will feel it the next day. Maybe not next month, but the next day I'll feel it. So the things that children think they understand, when you become an adult, you understand more clearly. Your understanding changes. Your thoughts change. The things that your mind on changes. My son, has his thoughts has never, none of my children, even little Maisie uh, and, and Joey, their thoughts and your children as well are never, they, they've never thought about how, why, the, why, why when they walk through the house and they flip a light on, they never think that it may not just, it may not cut on one day. 
for us, we think about, oh, we got to pay the light bill because if I don't pay the light bill, we may flip that switch and nothing comes on. They don't understand that way. They don't think that way. For them, that, that house just came with working lights and it just works all the time. And nothing has to happen to make it work all the time. When they turn that spigot, the water just comes out. And uh, there's just water inside of that spigot that just runs and runs and runs. And they never think about that. If you ever see a child have a bath, they have no concept of a water bill as they want to splash and throw all that water out of the tub. They don't have a concept of a power bill, but guess who does? Mom and dad does. Our understanding's different. Our, our thoughts are different. The way we are is just different. And Paul here speaks about his experience with that. He said, when I became a man, he put away childish things. Things had changed, and now he cannot labor on childish things. He says there in verse 12, I'm going somewhere. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now by now, about faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. What he's saying is, and he is connecting that back to the spiritual gifts, he is reminding them that the way that they are handling these spiritual gifts is a childish way of handling them. And just like he did in his physical life, when he became a man, he put away childish things. These Corinthian believers, they have been saved. They have been born again. And if you remember when he talked about their carnality problem, when he says, I have to speak to you not as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ, he is saying that you should be further along in your Christian life than you are, but I can't deal with you as a spiritually mature person because you're not that carnality is coming into their use of these spiritual gifts. They are treating these gifts from God that God was giving and God was using so that souls would be saved in the early days of the church as he worked the fulfillment of his plan and the fullness of his plan to get us to where we are today. He used these sign gifts for a season and he is telling them that they are misusing them because the reality is they're taking in their hands something spiritual, but they in themselves are not spiritual enough to really know what they're doing with them. If you study, and I don't have time to do your homework for you, but you study 1 Corinthians, one of the things that you'll find them doing is they are preferring the gift of tongues over everything else. They are boasting in their ability to speak in tongues, and they are boasting in their ability to do these supernatural things, but they are how we have already looked in the Scriptures and described them. They're carnal, that they are they're living in wickedness and boasting in their wickedness, but they are exercising in these spiritual gifts, and they're wanting to boast about how great they are in Corinth. When they're not doing a work for God because they're truly in love for God, but they are enjoying being able to do something that others are not doing. They're enjoying being able to put on the show, if you will, being able to see themselves be used for these supernatural things. And Paul is telling them it's time, not time to stop serving, not time to stop using, not telling them stop using the spiritual gifts. He's telling them use them, but grow up spiritually. 
I wonder how many times the Spirit of God would be saying that to our heart and in our lives. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to stop playing like we're spiritual and to stop doing spiritual things, but to grow up and actually be spiritual. I know that's harder preaching. It's easier to preach than it is to live, and it's hard to hear sometimes. But God wants us here at Beacon Baptist Church, God wants His saints all across the world to take their spirituality seriously. If we are old enough to be saved, we're old enough to be spiritual. It's been said time and time again. Brother Rackley says your spirituality is your responsibility. If you're old enough to be saved, you're old enough to be spiritual. And God expects you to be spiritual, not just spiritual-like. You come into church, you can look spiritual. You can say spiritual things. You can act spiritual. But God wants us to be spiritual. Don't just do the work for God because it's something you can do or it can cause there to be a means to an end physically to where for these Corinthians it appeased their ego. It made them proud. It made them, uh, it made them arrogant and being the Corinthians that had uh, use of these gifts and that was as deep as it got. They were excited that they had the ability to do the things that they did and it never got deeper than that. But for someone who had put away childish things and had become a man spiritually, had become fully grown spiritually had become a mature creature in Christ it wasn't about just I can do these wonderful things it is that God has given me the ability to be able to speak in tongues God has given me the ability to be able to understand truths God's given me the ability to do these spiritual things and and to walk in these and to have these spiritual gifts and live them out so that souls might be saved that people might be blessed and for God's ministry to go forth in another day to another generation of people And it's not just about me. It's about others. When you get spiritual, you'll learn it's not about us. First and foremost, it's about Him. It's about the Lord. But then it is about other people. They had a childish problem. He said, when I became a man, the same Paul that has dealt with them about their carnality, the same Paul that has told them, I wish you were more mature than you are, he is reminding them, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And yes, you can be childish even while you're serving God. You can't, you know, we talk about, we talk about people being childish in a physical sense. I've worked with some people on my job that I said, I wish they'd just grow up. I know I'm not the only one. You don't have to say, man. I've met people that I said, man, you're, you're too old to be acting that way. 40-year-old people living in their mama's basement, playing video games all day, living on her Social Security paycheck and not doing any work. Amen. That's childish. Amen. You got to grow up sometime. I don't want to be an enabler to a childish person physically. Amen. God is not an enabler to childish people and lazy people and people that don't want to grow up and get a life and do something for God and do something even just to better. You may not even be saved, but just to better yourself. God said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And I think we would do good in this country to get back to God's welfare program and not our own. Amen. We, I promise you we wouldn't be in the deficits we are spending all the money that we're printing money that we don't have trying to pay for people too lazy to work when they've got an able 
able body and they got the ability to work but don't want to. Amen. That's my political spiel for the day. That's as political as I'll get today. Don't be nervous. Amen. We'll be all right. But that's the truth. I'm not someone that wants to put up with childishness physically in grown-up people. Amen goes right there. But you know something that's probably more atrocious than being childish physically? It's being childish spiritually. And one of the things that if you spend any time amongst God's work at all, you will meet people that are spiritually childish. Pastoring, you'll meet childish people spiritually. Living for God, having to be around Christians that say they're spiritual and they're not. That is a reality. And don't, hey, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I came in this morning in a real good mood. I'm still in a real good mood. I've been joking a little bit more. I'm not normally a jokester, but I've joked with you a little bit more this morning than normal. I joke with my Sunday school class a little bit more than, than this morning than normal. I'm in a real good mood. But the fact of the matter is, that's the truth of God. Paul's saying that here. We can be a Christian and be childish when it comes to spiritual things. I would say this. I would surmise that most most so-called most Christians truly born again and blood washed most of most probably are childish spiritually many Christians live out their entire life never truly growing up in their faith brother Tommy did you teach this morning on adding to your faith there's a reason why the Bible says for us to do that it's because you're supposed to grow I've, my pastor used to say this, and, and I understand we as pastors, if you, don't, if you preach on the cross too much and you preach on Calvary and salvation too much, people say you don't study and that's all you preach on is salvation. If you, if you preach on it too much, that's what they say. If you don't preach on it enough, they say, well, our preacher must not care about people being saved and they don't preach on salvation. Here's the reality of it. Going in an extreme in either direction is wrong. I don't want to be the pastor that all I ever preach on is salvation. Here's the reason why. Because I realize that I pastor here at Beacon Baptist Church and most of the people I'm looking at this morning have testimonies of salvation. And if all I ever do is preach to you how to be saved and you've already been saved, you'll never grow beyond your salvation. You have to grow. Why do I preach like this? Why do I do the series? Why do we preach through passages of Scripture? It's because that's how you grow. If all I ever preach to you is topical messages, and we're there today, and then there the next day, and then there the next day, and you never take the time to see how the Scripture, well, that's not just Sunday school stuff. That's church stuff. Amen? That's Bible preaching, to take the Bible, see how God put it the way that He put it. And yes, there's a place for for being here and there, this topic and that topic. But exposition is the way people grow. That's how you grow. And I don't care I don't care what preacher told you otherwise. That's how we grow. God wants us to read the Bible, and when we read it, when you get to a certain part, you turn the page. Why? God wrote it the way he wanted it. He put it in the order that he wanted it. If he would have wanted me to read this, to, to, to be over here and then over there, he would have given me a jumbled, a jumbled series of verses. But he didn't. He gave them to us in an order. He wants us to understand them in context. He wants us to understand them in order. I preach the way that I do so that Christians will grow. You've got to grow beyond your salvation. But you never ought to get over it. Brother Barry, 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 
Barry Rackley. How about calling him Barry Message? <laughs> Amen. That's a good title for him. I mean, I'd sit with him at lunch, and he preaches at lunch, so that's a good title for him. Amen. Brother Barry Rackley preached a message one time, and he preached on, Are You Over the Hill? And, of course, we know how we use that. Hey, I'm over the hill. A lot of you make uh, my pastor, when he turned 40, we had an over-the-hill birthday party for him. He got over the hill. But he preached a message on, have you gotten over Calvary? Have you gotten over what happened on that hill? We ought to never get over Calvary. But we ought to grow beyond it. God did what he did for you because of Calvary. The root of a Christian's joy is what happened at Calvary. I don't get tired of hearing messages on the cross. I don't get tired of hearing messages on Jesus. I don't get tired of hearing messages about salvation. You can preach to me the Romans road, and it tickles me pink every single time I hear it preached. You can preach on John 3, 16, and there's joy that floods my soul every time I hear those precious words of God's word. Amen. It thrills my heart. But God wants us to grow. Here he's telling them, you've got to grow up. You've got to get beyond. You've got to get beyond just being where you are. And through how they handled the things of God, they saw he saw their childishness. This is a church that was carnal. This was a church that was wicked, had chastity problems. This was a church that was very, very childish. Let me give you this last one and we'll be done this morning. And I, I know I said I was going to be in a different place, but we may be back here tonight. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By the time we get this last thought in this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the time I give you this last thought, we will have a real good understanding about what God felt and what God was saying to this church at Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse number 12. <clears throat> Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those mountain peak chapters in Scripture, I don't know... If you can climb any higher on the mountains of God's Word than here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe, maybe, maybe John chapter 3 would be a rival. Maybe Romans chapter 8 would be a rival. But Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is so loaded with truth. The first few verses is where we get the clearest presentation of what the gospel is. My class, y'all look at me this morning, my Sunday school class. Now I see some of the adults looking up. <laughs> y'all ain't my Sunday school class. Y'all my church. Amen. My Sunday school class, what does the word gospel mean? Riley mouth the words, good news. The good news is we're told right here what the good news is. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, verse number 3 and 4. He talks about Christ's resurrection in the verses that lead up to verse number 12. He talks about all those wonderful things there that's done by the grace of God. Verse 10. Verse number 12, he said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... Notice this now, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is not being spoken in a public square of debate. This is not in an open arena. This is not in the theological, philosophical, uh, philosophical uh, circles of debate of this time. 
This is not the school of Socrates. These are not the students of Plato as they debate theology and they discuss and have discourses on philosophy and what man shall think and what is right and what is wrong. This is not a room for debate. This is among a church, the church of the living God. And one of the chief characteristics of a New Testament church is that a church should be unified in their doctrine. Yes, sir. What makes us here at Beacon Baptist Church, when you join this church and become a member here, what unites all of us outside of our salvation, our doctrine? Why do you join up with this church? Because you say, I'm saved by the grace of God, or at least it should be. I understand there's a whole lot of reasons why people join certain churches. But a spiritual reason to join the church is, I believe what they believe. They're what they're preaching, I believe. I want to be a part of giving that message to our community and to a lost and dying world. I agree with what they believe. Amen. Every person that comes to the membership of this church, I hand them a copy of our Constitution and Bible. Laws and now those that have joined you, they can they can testify. Miss Claire came recently. I, hand, I emailed her a copy of the Constitution and Bylaws. That girl read it in an hour. But she said, "I made her. I made her tell me. I believe it." Amen. Some of y'all hadn't read the Constitution and Bylaws in their entirety in 15 years. She read them in an hour. I was actually surprised by that. I said, take your time. I was expecting something maybe in a week or two. She texted me back just literally an hour later. I'm done. But she told me this. I believe that. I agree with that. And I said, and I said, do you agree about how we handle business? And the other part of it, she said, yeah, I'm fine with all that. And I said, okay, well, next step, we'll have a meeting. I'll hear your testimony of salvation from you. I'll talk to you for a few minutes, and then we'll bring it up before the church and let you join. The chief unifier of a New Testament church is the New Testament church is supposed to be united in their doctrine. This church at Corinth, not only did they have carnality problems, not only did they have chastity problems, not only did they have childish problems, but they had clarity problems. They weren't even unified on their doctrine. Now, this is a church that Paul looked at and said, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in all things. This is a church that they're not even sure that they all agree what they say they believe. And this, by the way, this truth that they are saying that they don't know whether they agree with that there's contentions in the church concerning, it's not whether or not it's right for a preacher to wear a pink tie or a navy suit or a white shirt. It's not whether or not your hair has to be this long or this long. It's not whether or not you, uh, as us men, whether you're aware, allowed to wear wire rim glasses or not. You'd be surprised how many of those things are subjects not only of debate, but are the entire subject of many of preacher's sermons. Whether a Christian is supposed to have facial hair or not. That's not what they're discussing here. I'm going to tell you where I stand on those things. If it is not clearly conveyed in the Bible, it is a matter of personal choice that God has told you to be fully persuaded in your own mind. Amen. If you want to have a beard, have one. 
There's, there's, been, there's been preachers that I've preached for that when they, when they called me and asked me to preach, they wanted to know if I had grown a mustache or a beard before I could come. Now, they didn't ask me about where I stood on the Word of God or anything like that, but they want to know if I had a goatee. All of that kind of stuff's foolishness. That's a, that is a matter of personal choice. What, what, you, what, what you wear in this church is my responsibility as the pastor here, shepherd here. Visitors, we don't have a standard. Members, we do have a dress standard. If you're going to be on the platform, we do have a dress standard. Now, what you wear out there is between you and God. Me and my family, we have a way that we dress. You don't have to be on that same, that same conviction or standard. You don't. But what they're debating on here, every child of God should agree upon. You say, preacher, why? Because if you look there at verse number 12, what are they debating? They're debating resurrection. Whether or not there is a such thing as the resurrection of the dead. He said in verse 13, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith also vain. And yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that God raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be, that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. In this life, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Do you see how them not having clarity and unity in doctrine snowballs from there? If they don't believe this tenet of the gospel, gospel, good news, death, burial, resurrection, if they're messed up on the resurrection, everything else they'll preach and teach snowballs and it's messed up. He says, if there's no resurrection, there's no hope for the world. And that's right. If the gospel message is not true, there's no hope for the world. If there is no resurrection, we are all lost. We're all headed to hell. We're all headed there without hope. And there's nothing we can do about it if there is no resurrection of the dead. That, my friend, is a great glaring problem. Right, right, right. They couldn't even agree on that. But yet, and we'll look at this tonight, God did something in their midst that allowed Paul to say, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in all things. Let me ask you, let me say this this morning. You may be wondering, I've talked to you about the church at Corinth, and you may be wondering, well, preacher, that's that church. What does that have to do with me? Every one of us can be just like those Corinthians in that church. This church right here, if we are not careful, it may have beacon on the sign, but it can become a Corinth Baptist church just like that if we're not careful. Let's deal with the things we've already looked at. Let's deal with our carnality if it needs to be dealt with. Let's deal with our wickedness that may, the things that we engage in that's wrong, that's wrong before God and sinful. Let's deal with those things, bad actions, bad attitudes, all those things. Let's deal with our childishness to where we're not as mature as we ought to be in Christ. We're not thinking maturely. We're not acting maturely. Our hearts are not, uh, are not, uh, are not drawn and, and captivated by things of uh, spiritual maturity. 
But we're distracted by all the childishness that's out there. We're Christians. We're saved. We're headed to heaven. But we're not as grown up as we ought to be. Let's deal with that. And let's make sure this morning that each and every one of us, we major on things that matter. We, we put the, the minor differences aside, put that in, in the category of let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Let's unite together around the things that matter, the major doctrines of the Word of God, not our own personal standards and convictions, or standards and opinions rather. Let's be unified. For the cause of Christ. Let's let God help us with what we believe. Let's make sure we believe what is right. We believe what is biblical. And we stand together as a church. Saying God help me to be. What you would have for me to be. And help me not to be a Corinthian believer. Help me not to be a Corinthian church member. Help me to be what you want me to be. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook. Or at our website bbclexington.com